Welcome to Pediatrics Now, cases, updates, and discussions for the busy practitioner. I'm your host, Holly Wayment. Today on Pediatrics Now, we're talking about headaches. Joining us today in the podcast studio is Dr. Brian Fox, pediatric neurologist at UT Health San Antonio and University Hospital. He completed his residency in pediatrics at David Grant Medical Center in affiliation with UC Davis Medical Center and a second residency in child neurology at Stanford University. He's a retired U.S. Air Force colonel where he had served military-connected children across the world. Thanks for being here, Dr. Fox. Oh, thanks for having me. Dr. Fox, as we know, headaches are common in children, and it can often be difficult for the child to explain where the pain is. Yes, yeah, that's a pretty common problem. And, uh, you know, we see headaches down to even the earliest talkers. So, you know, I've had some three- and four-year-olds that had symptoms that sounded like headaches, um, and it's very difficult for them to describe it. Often what we do in those settings is you can even have them draw a picture of what they're experiencing often tends to work. Um, And I like to try to focus my attention solely on the child um, and not so much on the parents, but obviously you're going to need parent input for this. And um, really focusing on um, their function, uh, what do they do during the spells, uh, is the primary concerns because occasionally there could be other things like seizures that might get confused for headaches. And most of the time a headache is not something to worry about but it also could be a sign of something very serious. Right it's it's uh, one of my favorite lines was Arnold Schwarzenegger in the uh, kindergarten uh, teacher movie who said it's not a tumor and, and you know 99.9 percent of the time it's not and and uh, you know but we uh, as practitioners have to be mindful that, you know, in my mind, the first thing going in is, um, you know, is this something dangerous? Um, that's my first phase of what I do and my approach. And um, uh, just knowing that, you know, these things that are uh, damaging are, are, you know, pretty rare, um, but uh, commons are very common, uh, you know, something we're going to see. In fact, in pediatric neurology, that's what we'll see the most of. And so, so, Um, My thinking is geared towards uh, more, you know, it's probably going to be what we call a primary headache along the lines of uh, migraines or tension type or chronic daily headaches. And but I'm always the first phase of my intake with uh, patients always trying to be mindful of uh, dangerous causes of headache. So what is your advice to our pediatric listeners with, you know, say they have 20, 30 more patients to see the child in front of them has started, you know, new onset of headaches? Right, right. It's it's uh, it's difficult, but I think um, having a script in mind in your head. Uh, so when I encounter this, this is what I do, and it, you know, and it's, you know, I've been doing this for a number of years. I have to go back and rewrite my script to put in, you know, more updated information all the time. Um, it's not always easy uh, to do that, but uh, the the things I would recommend is, you know, having that script, what do I do for headaches? And then, um, the, again, like I said, the first phase is trying to figure out, you know, is it something dangerous, something I need to do something about? And the second phase is more towards uh, treatment. Um, what do I do once I've kind of made up my decision in my mind? And uh, a couple of things can help. And so a good history um, is obviously key to a lot of things. And so talking to the family, talking to the uh, child as much as possible, um, and everyone you know, has their own way of doing that. Um, I really try to engage the child, particularly as they get older. They're, they're my patient and not so much the parents. And 
um, see what I can get from them. Um, I'm always looking for red flags, and so these would be uh, signs and symptoms of things that worry me from the family, and so, so we can go over those. And then I also worry about timelines, so asking how long has it been going on, and I'm also, in my mind, forming a kind of visual graphic of what the headache looks like. So if it's something that's uh, stable, same thing. It's been going on for a while. Um, it can be a bad headache, but if it's stable and it's been going on, I don't feel so worried um, And uh, versus someone that has a new headache. Newer headaches make me a lot more nervous because I don't know where they are. And typically a cutoff for me is around six months, and a lot of that's based on uh, data from the initial cohort of children that they look back way back in the 80s. And, you know, how long would it take for some, one of them to develop signs of a tumor that's more obvious? Um, um, so essentially, uh, the data is pretty strong. That shows like by at least, you know, a few weeks out, children with a brain tumor as a cause of their headaches, um, like 85% of them are going to have some sort of neurological finding. And it's not usually subtle stuff. It's usually things like they can't move correctly, they can't feel something, they're having ataxia, um, or they have double vision or um, loss of vision. Um, and then the, by six months, you're almost talking like 99% of children are gonna have something. There's always exceptions, but time frame for me makes me feel really good. And then looking to see if I have any of my red flags and the ones if the what I had to incorporate into my kind of illness script for headaches was, you know, the most sensitive question of red flags is has your child had any change in personality or behavior? And so because that that kind of hits, you know, dangerous um, things, tumors, aneurysms, that a little bit of bleeding, let's say, uh, mass occupying lesions, because if it's located in really eloquent parts of your brain, like we used to speak and reason, you're going to see changes in personality potentially. And if it's um, uh, located in lower parts of our brains um, where we do a lot more, you know, kind of processing the cerebellum, um, you're going to have ataxia and you're going to have behavioral changes with that. So more nonspecific symptoms. And so, so time frame helps me. Course helps me imagining, you know, if it's getting progressively worse, that's a little bit more worrisome versus static. And so, um, and then um, also the red flag. So any change in behavior personality for me is number one. Um, any signs of Valsalvo or maneuvers making it worse, uh, severe pain that's worsening over time. Um, anything that you can have a set headache and people can have multiple kinds of headaches. If it's a change in that headache, that makes me a little bit more nervous. Um, vomiting um, that's persistent, increasing or preceded by recurrent headache. Um, headaches that awaken you from sleep or present when you wake up. Now, you know, pretty bad migraines can do that too. So it takes some kind of parsing that out. Um, family history of headaches actually is protective. So if you, I ask that question, anyone in the family got headaches? And that kind of makes me feel a little bit better. And then obviously, you know, uh, going along with the change in behavior and personality, any change in the neurological exam where someone has papilledema, strabismus, weakness, ataxia, that's, that's like that, and, and that feeds right into what do I do with a, ch a child that has any of those signs, and that's where the neuroimaging question comes in. So what about, what can our pediatric, uh, pediatrician listeners <clears throat> in their office, you know, like we get that question, you know, what do I not need to refer out? out for right. if if there is a common history yeah. um, what's your advice there yeah I think there's you know there's definitely a lot that can be done um, uh, to help folks with headaches and if you look at the the data what do patients want they want to know what you think the cause is so I think establishing you know as you start to 
kind of look at the diagnostics and then you start to change gears a little bit towards therapeutics, saying what you think the cause of the headache is, is very important. And, you know, if you have any bit of anxiety that goes along with pain, it's just going to increase the pain and that's, it can be a vicious cycle. Um, so for as far as, um, you know, when you're seeing a, uh, a child, having that script down, saying, you know, like, step one for me is just I want to exclude dangerous causes of headaches. Step two is I start to think about, um, you know, is this somewhere of the primary headaches, clusters, or which is more common in adults, but migraines, tension type, uh, chronic daily headaches, other unusual types that we don't see commonly, like trigeminal neuralgia. Is it one of those types? I try to meet the diagnostic criteria, which every headache has its own criteria. And then from there, it's, um, you know, flipping over to, okay, if I violate any of the red flags or if I have problems with my exam, um, then that might be a child that I'm going to do neuroimaging on. And in fact, you know, we have major scientific uh, groups such as the American Academy of Neurology, Child Neurology Society, American Academy of Pediatrics, which back up. If you document what you see and you have a normal exam without any red flags and that headache has been well established over six months, no neuroimaging is indicated. And so, so referring to radiology would not be needed. Now, referring to us in neurology, well, um, obviously, if you have a violation of any of those things and you have an abnormal neuro exam, that would be something we'd want to see the child. Um, and um, obviously, if any abnormal neuroimaging, so it's still kind of in that early, you know, diagnostic phase. Um, most times, we're, we're getting patients more on the therapeutic side of things, and it, uh, it's a whole nother, I could spend forever talking about therapeutic uh, sides of headaches, but... Um, that's oftentimes, you know, someone that is just not responding to the typical therapies is be someone we want to see. And, and the final steps I'd recommend after kind of make sure it's nothing dangerous, make, figuring out, you know, which classification of headache it is. And then uh, final thing is, you know, make sure that we're not creating more headaches. And that can happen pretty easily if we end up using a lot of acute abortive agents. And so, so typically we don't like to go beyond um, anything that's, that's given. Like it can be Tylenol, it can be Motrin, and the Aleve. Or it could be prescribed things like the triptan medications for migraines. We don't want to go beyond that two to three times per week because um, what ends up happening is then you start getting medication overuse headaches. And so, so if that's what the kids are getting into, oftentimes by the time they get to us, um, that's what we're dealing with. And that can be hard to treat. And so... I have two teenagers, um, and my daughter, she had a really bad headache several days in a row. Yeah. And and then it, I realized, you know, in talking to her, she stopped taking her water bottle to school mm -hmm. because she didn't yeah. want to go to the bathroom at right. school. And so she wasn't drinking during right. the day. So right. it can be something as simple as that, and mm -hmm. then it can be very complicated. Yeah, to, yeah. The, and, you know, by and large, the kids under 10 kind of worry me a little bit more, particularly the younger ones. Um, one, they can't describe what they're going through. And um, two, um, um, uh, they have less of the acquired, as I like to call them, things that they do to themselves, such as, um, you know, my daughter who stayed up really late and wondered why she got ache. You know, it's pretty simple to figure right. out sometimes. Um but, um, yeah, you know, the older kids, um, you know, it's, it's, it can be. Um, and part of the treatment for this is, you know, you really try to de-emphasize the medical establishment as being the key to success here. And it's really kind of we're the advisors for your headaches. And so, um, and um, getting that child in that family to kind of recognize 
you know, um, triggers and tracking um, is really, really important. And so, so, um, so having a headache diary and that kind of thing, because it, it kind of does this, you know, transference of the problem um, off of the, the medical. It's really not my headache. It's your headache. I'm just here to help you. And everybody's a little bit different. So you have to kind of figure out what those differences are and potential triggers. And so, but, and, you know, we looked at studies even in treatment in kids and, you know, it's not all medicines. In fact, it's probably a minor uh, component and it's really more looking at the whole person. So we spend a lot of time uh, getting to know the kid, what's going on in their lives, um, what, what is what is happening to them. And that's we spend a lot more time with the, the older kids, obviously, than the younger ones. So, yeah. And would you say when in doubt, refer out? For sure, yeah. I mean, part of it, too, is that neurology is a you know, limited um, uh, commodity. And uh, what we're doing in our uh, clinic is trying to triage, you know, who has red flags, who has, you know, um, concerning signs of that may have a more worrisome and relying upon um, uh, providers to, you know, do that also with us as part of the team. It can be hard. You know, there's not a lot of time to do this. Again, I kind of stick to my time frame. I stick to my course. I stick to my red flags, my questions. And um, that time frame is something we definitely look at on referrals. You know, you've had a headache for two years and it's not done anything yet. I think you're going to be fine. That's going to be someone that's less of a problem for, you know, um, it may be a problem treatment-wise and how they function in life, but it's not someone that's going to be as risky. And so um, having something dangerous going on. So, you know, if in doubt, you know, please refer um, but just know that we're dealing with large numbers of kids because, you know, it's uh, a lot of folks have these problems. So then it's kind of like parsing through that large number, who, which of these kids would benefit most from services. So. And you see patients at UT Health's Wurzbach Gateway Clinic on Wurzbach in Fredericksburg? Yeah, yeah, and, correct. And, and at University Hospital? And at University Hospital, yep. And pediatricians can send patients directly for EEG? Yes, they can. Yeah, so it, uh, we have that capability at both centers. So, and I know I have a picture um, that we took at UT Health, and, and when you talk about talking to the child as the patient, you're right down at eye level, you're crouched down on the floor, and your eyes are right there, you know, you're both masked up, and the parent's right there. But you're, is that something you'd recommend, you know, getting to eye level with the child? Ah, uh, yeah. Well, yeah, again, it depends on the age of the child. And, you know, um, it's, uh, I do spend a lot of time, um, I, ugh, I was always impressed with waitresses. You could take your entire order without writing anything down. And that's I am what too. I've been, How do they do that? I don't know. That's what <laughs> I've been working on with my patients. And, you know, I have to write things down as soon as I leave the room, else I forget them. But I, I, I honestly think good eye contact and engagement with the patient, because again, I have to understand them. So again, I spend a lot of time. What is your life like? How much do you sleep? What are your stressors? What are you going to do after you graduate? What is, what's going on in your life? What can you not do? How many days of school have you missed? Have you been late to school? I mean, it is, uh, uh, you know, a series of things that we go through. And so, but you know, having that engagement with the patient really helps me. And I'm also doing my neuro exam at the same time. And so, so I'm trying to figure out how's their function, how's their eyes working, am I missing subtle little things? So it's paying a lot of attention is what I end up doing. And sometimes it's what they're not saying. They may be saying with their body language. Yeah, I think the younger kids, you know, you always have to have in the back of your mind is one, I'm more worried about them because they're young and complaining of something like this. And then two, I'm often trying to figure out how much parent interplay is in there. And so, um, you know, is this all kid? Is this some parent? 
And so, so um, you know, the younger ones, definitely, that becomes more of a factor. Um, it, yeah, and obviously, you know, if the parent's doing all the talking, that kind of has me a little bit worried. If they're able to talk, I want you to talk, and, and you tell me instead of, you know, the parent doing all the talking. So, yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about what inspired you to become a pediatric neurologist? Because I think that's really interesting. Oh, yeah. I, yeah, I always wanted to fly airplanes and couldn't <laughs> do that because I had seizures as a kid. So I had a um, benign form of epilepsy. So, it was, so I know what it's like to be on anti-seizure medications as a kid. So, um, uh, and uh, really, really don't care for uh, seizures happening to children. And so it's so a very personal level. It shouldn't happen. Um, so whatever we can do to to knock that out, you know, we'll do it and have that children, child, you know, kind of be adjusted to life as if it didn't exist. Um, well, um, to a degree, I mean, to a degree too, we kind of just, we kind of, you know, have to own these diseases and make you stronger as a kid too. So, it, you know, kind of, that's a very personal reason for wanting to do it. So, yeah. And you eventually grew out of the seizures yeah, of time. Yeah, no, thank goodness. Yeah. 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 Are we ready to take a case? Sure. sure. Yeah. Okay, so um, a mom brings in her 8-year-old son, Jason, who has new onset of migraines. They are becoming more frequent, and the mom is really worried. She wants her, mom, her, she wants her son to get a CT scan, and there's a six-month waiting list to get in to see a pediatric neurologist. Right, yeah. So I, I oof, uh, um, general pediatrics or those, you know, in family practice dealing with pediatric patients and very anxious parents is a very different thing than being a subspecialist in pediatric neurology saying it's going to be okay. Um, there's going to be built-in anxiety uh, for these um, parents. Um, and, and that kind of gets back to this, you know, is there anxiety present? Spend a good amount of time with that. Where's it coming from, parent or kid? And, um, as uh, a you know, primary um, uh, care it can be very difficult to kind of parse this. The the language is you know that is very important. So I, like I said, saying what you think the cause is, I do say a lot of times, even though it may feel like something's eating your head, there's nothing. You're okay. And so um so, you know, I kind of try to you know give them a, a a name for what I think is going on. Uh, reassure you having normal neurological exam. Um, and I do include fundoscopic in there as a, you know, a caveat. It's just, you, you, I, you know, I, I'm not getting kickbacks from Welch Allen with their panoptic, um, but um, it is a very useful um, item, and I've gotten very good at it. So if I see anything funny, and if I can't get an exam, could you go please see, you know, an eye doctor helps me a lot. So that's, that is core to it. Um, but this is kind of the language. You've got a normal exam. This has been going on for a while. If the family history is there, you know, your family history of this, you know, you made them wonderful, but you also may have given them headaches too. It's okay. Um, uh, that that kind of language is important. And so, um, and then for someone that's like looking for imaging, you know, th this isn't without risk. So, I, you know, it's all about risk benefit. And again, I go back to data. It's more adult data, but if you're able to meet the criteria for migraine, for example, and you have a normal neurological exam, at that time, um, the chance of you missing something as a practitioner, 0.4%. Uh, and I will tell parents it is 0.4% I could be missing something. If the headache doesn't meet strict criteria for migraine, if it's a, you know, just kind of a little less vague, and you have a normal exam, it's 2.4% chance of you missing all comers, tumors, aneurysms, uh, 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 AVMs, et cetera. So I, I talk to them like I'm talking to you right now. And... Um, 
Uh, and I say, you know, a CAT scan's got some risk to it. Now, if it means the difference between me worrying about a kid and not worrying, I'm going to do it. Because in the whole scheme of things, I know we're trying to be good about radiation exposure. One CAT scan in a child's life is not the end of the world. Now, there are um, constraints on that, depending upon insurance um, carrier, um, for some people to order that test. But if you're going to order something and you're worried, that's the test. Because right there, it kind of rules out the big things, you know, bleeding, hydrocephalus, um, masses, et cetera. And so, um, but, um, you know, MRI also is not without risk, um, um, particularly for younger children who need sedation. And then, you know, I've seen plenty of people who are worried about a kid said, we're going to get a better MRI. And then they end up having, you know, something terrible happening, waiting the couple of months sometimes for an MRI, let alone if it's sedated, which is now there's risk and time to get an MRI. You know, it could have been done with a simple CAT scan. So, you know, it, it's, you know, it's, it's one I'll just talk frankly to the parents. I'll try to incorporate some of those key um, things into it, but it's not benign to, to, to do some of these things. And particularly if you have a normal exam, it's been going on for a while, there's a positive family history, no red flags. I, you know, I just watch the kids. And, um, you know, one of my favorite quotes told to me is, you know, follow-up saves a thousand mistakes. So you have no idea what's going on, see that person back. I need more time, come back. And, and that is something, you know, I make a mistake every 30 seconds, it feels like. But, you know, that has saved me many a times. Like, oh, that's what's going on, and that kind of thing. Yep. That's great advice. Yeah. Um, here on Pediatrics Now, we we take anonymous questions yeah, from yeah. practitioners, yep. and <clears throat> this flows into what you just said, if there's anything else you need to add, but this this pediatrician says, I would love to hear a quick review over diagnose of, uh, diagnosis of initial management of migraine, and who should we image? Yeah, imaging really comes down to those focal neurological finding people, and so, or those who are violating some of the you know, red flags and insurance carriers are, that's basically what they'll approve the neuroimaging for is those, those, those criteria. So if it isn't increasing in frequency and severity, um, then you're probably not going to need to do it. But if you have abnormal neurological exam, you, you definitely always should image in those kids. And so question, I do think uh, having that script down, these are the things I'm going to ask. This is what I'm going to do quickly moving through the phases of step one, excluding things. Um, and then step two, trying to categorize the headache, um, uh, I think is very useful. And knowing the criteria for kind of migraine intention is, is very useful. And so, um, uh, yeah, because those are the two most common things that folks are going to see. Um, and then from there, then you start to um, flip quickly over to kind of therapeutics. And um, I know we don't have a lot of time today to talk about therapeutics uh, for headaches, and it's also kind of evolving. But just know that the cornerstone of that is going to be the lifestyle element. So, Right off the bat, uh, you have to get good sleep, regular sleep, pretty much same time to bed, same time awake every day. You got to get yourself hydrated, uh, small healthy snacks throughout the day. Um, be careful with caffeine because it can be a double edged sword there. Um, know yourself. You got to track. You got to um, figure out what causes or triggers your headache, what alleviates it. Um, and then get in some regular exercise. And so, so that's, that's kind of a visit in a nutshell for me. You know, obviously we have a l more time to kind of spend with patients. We provide them preset handouts. Uh, this is what you should do. And I tell the parents, you know, and the patients, um, this is your homework. You're, you know, and so you're missing school right now to come see me usually. Um, so, you know, you got some homework to do. And um, a lot of that is, you know, knowing it. And we do know this, you know, from 
study after study, um, uh, having done one myself, where we looked at um, kind of comprehensive um, multidisciplinary care for headaches, some of the worst headaches, um, statistically significant result was just lifestyle management alone, not medications. In fact, we used to run a clinic with it where you'd actually see me, social work, uh, um, primary care, all seeing the kid together. It made no difference. It was all headache education. So it is something that can be done pretty easily, um, and it's widely available. Um, just know that, you know, um, that lifestyle management is the cornerstone. So, you know, you can, uh, you know, have your teenager go out at night and stay up late and wonder why they have a headache. Um, they can give them all the medications in the world, but I'd still prefer you to go to sleep sometimes. Now, if it's worth it, you know, then, you know, go have fun and stay up all night and do your thing. But, um, you know, this is kind of the discussions I end up having with families. So in a nutshell, that's kind of just moving through the phases of a typical visit. And about half the time, can the issue be resolved with life, lifestyle changes? Oh, gracious, yeah. It's kind of, headaches are kind of like the, the, the gift that doesn't reciprocate. So I think we're, you know, we've statistically proven we're making a difference in headaches. We've tracked patients over time um, just with lifestyle alone. So, yes, we are. Um, but a lot of times they don't come back. And so <laughs> we never get to see outcomes a lot of times, not like more chronic things like, um, you know, epilepsy. Um, headaches, you know, they can be there with people for a long time and they can run through rough patches and it kind of mirrors, you know, um, you know, the treatments, the treatments can go on for a few months. The person figures it out, you know, what's going on or the lifestyle circumstances change and, you know, then the headaches kind of remit and go away. But I still think at the end of the day, what we want to leave the kid and the family with is a sense that they can do this on their own, that they don't need medical, um, input, they just need to know the plan and, and need to know that they're okay. And quickly, do you want to discuss another case involving teenagers? Yeah, I think, you know, just for um, me, um, teenagers can be, they're actually a little bit more straightforward. Um, I don't know if that's because I have teenagers. Um, they're, <laughs> um, it's, they're, you, you know, and it obviously, you know, there's the, you know, the preteens are probably the most difficult because they kind of understand stuff and but they, they're not very abstract. And then the... My the youngest daughter's a preteen. Yeah, they're the toughest. Cause yes. they, yeah, yeah. Uh, because they can't quite get the concepts of, like, you have to own your health. And so um, the older ones are the easiest. The adults, I think, are easy. And so the older teenagers, the middle teens are probably okay, too. Um, you know, there we run into other unique challenges, a lot of times social challenges, you know, why they have their headaches. And so... So again, it's, it's, there's a lot more time spent into like, how do you lead your life? You know, like what goes on in your daily day? And so, um, but um, teenagers, I think, you know, they're, you're, you're probably going to, because it's so much more lifestyle um, treatments um, than the little guys, I tend more towards, honestly, it's, it's more kind of a genetic cause a lot of times for their headaches. So I'm doing more actually with diagnostics and therapeutics with the little guys than I am with the older guys. Because the older guys, it's a little bit more predictable. So I have to spend more time with the older guys to discuss things and counsel and is what I end up doing. And so, and they, they, and I'm doing a lot of transference of their treatment goes to them. It's not to me. And so, um, but um, yeah, teenagers, it's a lot more social factors involved. Yeah. In our, our last few minutes, uh, is there a line in medicine that you'd like to mention? Oh, yeah, I got a couple. Yeah, so, no, yeah, it's, uh, um, uh, one, one is that, you know, uh, follow-up saves a thousand mistakes, and I, I quote to the, 
the students and residents a lot is, and other physicians, if they'll listen, is, um, you know, um, uh, time is a great diagnostic test. You just don't know if you're able to use it. And people forget about time. Time is a diagnostic test. It's just the question is, is how much can you rely upon it at that um, particular time? And so, so yeah, nope. And the child might grow out of yeah, yeah, they might. Yeah, so you know, I've, I'm a migraine sufferer myself, so it's it's just kind of know thyself is a key part of it, and knowing your triggers and what can pull it away. And there's some folks that have just terrible, terrible headaches, and no matter what they do, and it's um, you know, it's uh, headache medicine is very much incremental care. It's like tinkering one thing after another um, to try to get that person where they can be, and. You know, of the things you can tinker with, I, you know, I kind of like the analogy of it being a tool shed, and there are certain tools in there. Some things have to be there. The floor has to be there. You have to be able to go to sleep. You have to be able to manage your stress. You have to be able to exercise. You have to be able to hydrate. You have to have those things. If they're not there, then you have no floor to your tool shed. But, you know, between complementary medicine-type approaches, um, acupuncture, biofeedback, you name it, um, alpha stimulation to pharmaceutical agents uh, to nutraceutical agents such as magnesium um, they're, they're, you, you name it everybody's a little bit different they just have to find what works for them before we go can you tell us a line or two about yourself what you like to do in your spare time oh yeah yeah well because I couldn't be a pilot because uh, of the whole epilepsy thing um, I'm still getting over that almost <laughs> 50 years later anyways but um uh, I love electricity, so I, short of not electrocuting myself or our family, I think I would have gone back and been an electrician because I just love um, 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 putting together things. So, so far I haven't burnt down anything, and I, th <laughs> I don't think I violated any city codes yet, but yeah, if I couldn't do this, I'd probably do that. And so, yeah. so do you fix a lot of things around the I house? I do. I try my best. I try my best. I can do electrical. I cannot do wood. That, that takes artistry, and I cannot do plumbing. I just can't. I can't do it, but electrical, I'll figure it out eventually. So, anyway. Dr. Brian Fox, pediatric neurologist at UT Health and UH, thank you so much for being oh, here. It's, it's an been honor. It's a pleasure. Yep, it's been a pleasure. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Pediatrics Now. Click on the link for free credit if you're a practitioner. You can also email us with questions or episode ideas. That address is pediatricsnow at uthscsa.edu. We release a new episode every Friday. I'm Holly Wayman. I hope you can join us for our next episode. Thanks for listening.